I was hoping to share on fathers. I think there's a huge need, uh, and it is Father's Day, to understand God as a father, but I just am feeling the Lord leading me differently. And, and before I start, I felt like just the Holy Spirit reminded me in worship, um, as we were worshiping the Lord, just seeing, I mean, you're such a nice mix of ages here. Um, and, and there's a lot of older folk that are coming in as well. And I was just in worship, think, just the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Actually, that many of you older folk that have come here, you have served the Lord, many of you, for many years. And actually, there's been a longing in your hearts to really, you know, give yourself to a church that is beautiful and authentic. And I felt for many of you, you've, you've seen the ugliness, you've seen the brokenness, you've seen the mess and the mistakes. And I felt like the Lord brought you here. Um, and actually, that uh, I felt the Lord say to me that many of you are like Caleb's. You've, got, you've still got hills to take. You've still got hills to take. And God's brought you here to root you in, to actually not settle down, not to shrink back. But you've still got hills to take. You've still got things that you need to go for. And I really want to encourage the older folk that have come in here and that are here. You guys need to be the most front-footed, setting an example for the young ones here of what it is to run flat out to the end. Amen? The Bible honors the aged. The Bible tells us that uh, you have a special place in the house. And I really want to encourage you, man, go for it. Run flat out. Take your hills. We need you to take your hills. God needs you to take your hills. But that's, again, just a little freebie. I want to, I, I, I swung this, I haven't even looked at my notes properly on this, but uh, I do want to go where I feel the Lord wants to go. And I felt the Lord speak to me about probably a message that was very much rooted in the heart of Josh Jen from the early days. We used to actually have a bumper sticker in the early days, and it was a thumbprint, which was supposed to be the, a reflection of really the impression of God, and then underneath the words, dying to live, dying to live. And I want to teach on dying to live, because I feel it's one of the most untaught and misunderstood concepts in the kingdom of God, and it's something that if we don't properly understand, we just will never, ever walk in what God has for us. There is a principle, as Richard was sharing about sowing and reaping, there is a principle that there is a way for us to follow the Lord. And if we learn His ways and we follow Him properly, we ultimately end up walking in the fullness of what He has for us. But if we don't learn His ways, and we don't go His ways, we can forfeit even this incredible grace that God has given us. Uh, because God, by His grace, wants us to reflect Him. And so in Ephesians 2, verse 10, could you put that up for me? Uh, hopefully you're ready for a some scriptures, Ephesians 2 verse 10, uh, and remember it's my bad if it takes a while, um, it, it was this, the Bible says this, for we are God's handiwork, or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, okay, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is in many ways speaking both us, but also of you, that you are God's workmanship. God wove you together in your mother's womb. God put you in the families that he put you in. And if they were good or bad families, God works even in the bad for the good. And, and so he's forming you. And even as you've come into the kingdom, come into his house, God is working. His hands are intricately involved in your life. And, and he ultimately tells that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God has got things for you to do that only you can do. There are people that will be reached by only you. There are situations that will be changed by only you. God will limit his own glory so that only through you and with you will his kingdom come to the earth. And that's a profound thing. The God who made it all in love has limited himself and said, I love you so much. I'm going to do everything that I do only through you. And if you give yourself to me, my kingdom will come. But if you don't, my kingdom will not come. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, Israel, the nation of God, limited God by their unbelief. They limited the Holy One of Israel. And so there is a real sense that for Jesus to get the glory that he paid for on the cross, it's not going to happen without you. The fullness of his glory will not be re realized without you. Could you put that back up for me? Sorry, man. I think there was one part that I wanted to jump on. And again, I'm preaching a little bit unplugged. So unplugged means I don't have the cords in front of me. <laughs> we, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, God has gone ahead of you to prepare things for you. And I sometimes wonder sometimes in life, as, as we don't live our lives, if we don't get to those places that God has prepared for us to do something, and we just miss the moment. We walk right through it. And we miss what the Lord wanted to do in our lives. I don't know about you, but I can't bear that thought. I can't bear the thought of not being found faithful to Him and not doing the things that He wants me to do so that His kingdom can come through me. But the thing I've learned is this. As a younger Christian, I was so zealous for the things of God. I'd been saved out of drugs, and He won my heart. And I wanted everything for Him. I wanted to give everything for Him. But His ways were so different from mine that I got in the way a lot over these years. I've, I've messed up a lot of what he wanted to do through me. And he patiently, like a father, taught me and shaped me and molded me so that I would learn the ways of my heavenly father. And then once I'd learned his ways, his kingdom would come through me. And, and I feel like for many of us here today, and even the older Caleb's, there are still things for us to learn. We're still growing in our understanding of God. And if we don't learn his ways, we actually miss what he has for us. So, how many of you believe that you have a calling and a ministry? Every one of you should lift your hands. You've just read it. God has a ministry. He's got something for you to do. And when I say ministry, it might not be preaching, but your part in his mind is as important, in fact, maybe more important, than the part I'm playing. Because the Bible says the parts that seem the most important. I arrived today and somebody said, oh, I'm a little bit awed because I've seen you on, you know, on screens and stuff. And in a human terms, you know, I'm a big deal. But in the kingdom terms, in the kingdom terms, the parts that seem the most important are the least. And the parts that seem the least important are the most. And so in other words, the Lord looks and he says, actually, Andrew's not the big deal. You are. I've got something I want to do through you. And Andrew is simply, and, and Richard and others, we're simply servants to try and help you take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of you. I'm in the front, not because it's a seat of honor. If it was, I would be sitting on the ground. I'm in the front because I want to be near the elders as we try and steer this meeting to know where it's got to go. I want to set an example for you. But this is not a seat of honor. It's a seat of service. Does that make sense? So, let me get back to my thoughts. I'm running down little rabbit warrens I shouldn't do. So, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, there, there's a basic principle here that if, you don't, if we don't learn it, we just will not walk in the promises of God. Like, it's just never going to happen for you. You will live your life. You'll end at some point. God has determined the time. And when it ends, you will not have attained what he, what he made for you. You'll miss it. Uh, and that's a terrible thought. You will stand in front of him and give an account for how you've lived. You'll give an account for how faithful you were to the tasks and the things that the Father had for you. And these weren't heavy tasks. These weren't burdensome things. These were beautiful things that God wanted to share with you. God wanted to bring you through. He actually wanted to reveal his glory to you. So that on that last day, the Bible says, you will sit on a throne with him and rule and reign. And that's a profound, merciful thing for him to do. Because why should we sit near his throne? But it's the love of the Father who wants to bring us in. Does it make sense? So you have a duty. And I, and I wonder how many of us here in this room, when we end our lives, when our lives are finally over, will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And how many will weep? The Bible says there will be tears in heaven. And I think some of those tears will be when you realize what could have been, what should have been in our lives, and how we squandered it. We squandered the inheritance of heaven because we loved this world or we didn't understand his ways properly. So it's a beautiful thing and a terrifying thing both at the same time. So, and there's some basic principles here and I'm actually just thinking in my notes, I'm running ahead of myself. But in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 50, let me just give you an overarching thing. We're going to go to Jesus and go to church. But there is a principle, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 50, could you put that up? There is a principle here of giving, of devoting, of giving of yourself. How many of you know that as humans we're pretty selfish? 
I think you learn that when you get married, it, you suddenly start to realize, whoa, I'm a bit more selfish than I thought. And then the kids come and it's like a whole another level of selfish. How many of you suddenly, when the, when the little one cried, be honest, and your wife or your husband was lying next to you, acted like you were sleeping because, <laughs> because like, please God, let him or her get up because I just want to sleep right now. <laughs> and every parent is like, yeah, that's me. Guilty as charged. <laughs> oh, no, 2 Corinthians 8. Sorry, wrong scripture. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 50. Not 15, 5 Close. Um, so, again, that's my bad, not, not theirs. So, so here's the thing. And, and the Lord wants to teach us how to not live for ourselves. To actually live for Him. And actually to live for Him through one another. So in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 50, as I found it there, sorry, they didn't hear what I said. The Bible tells us that the Corinthian church gave of themselves first to the Lord and then also to Paul and the apostles in that first century church in keeping with God's will. I think it's, well, hopefully it'll come up. They gave of themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. How many of you find it scary it's a, it's a bit easier to give yourself to Jesus than it is to people, eh? Because people are like people. Like they mess up. They do stupid stuff. How many church leaders haven't failed in the last five years? They get abusive. They hurt us. They, they do st- And so there was this concept, and I remember as a young Christian falling in love with him and giving myself to him over and over again, but not understanding that that wasn't enough. That I had to learn to give myself also to his people and to his leaders. And it was a very scary journey for me of going, oh my goodness, these guys might actually, like I trust you, Jesus. You're my hiding place. I can hide myself in you. You'll never let me go. You'll never, but, but leaders. And the closer you get to them, the more you realize they're not always as spiritual as you thought. And you kind of think, whoa, and you see maybe the you know, a couple arguing when you're thinking, whoa, I don't know if I want to give myself to these guys. But I, I had to learn the lesson uh, that I needed to give myself to him and also to his leaders. And I learned this as a younger man. No man will get in the way of my destiny but me. Even David under Saul. I mean, imagine... God's anointed. You hear the, the Lord speak to you, say, my son, I've called you to be a king in Israel. You, you know. And then God puts David, have you ever wondered about this? Puts David under this guy called Saul, who's this insecure, not good leader. Like He's like the worst leader in the Bible. Like Basically, when you, when you use good leadership and bad leadership, Saul is the classic Bible teaching example of this is what bad leadership looks like. And God puts David under that guy says, I want to see if you really trust me. I want to see if you're going to try and save your life. I want to see if you're going to, at some point, say, this is too hard. And David remains faithful through it all. And at the end, God says, he's a man of my own heart. And therefore, God honors him. There's this principle in the kingdom that we cannot escape. Now, I want to say to you, find the best leaders you can. Don't be stupid. Find the best leaders you can. And I mean that. If you find a better eldership team, a be- join their church, for goodness sake. Your eternal destiny depends upon, to some degree, the leaders, to some degree that you're under. They can make it easy or hard. Don't stick in a dead church. And if we're a dead church, please find a living one. But at the same time, once you follow the Lord in these things, I don't believe any man can stop what God has got for you. Because God is faithful to finish his, his... And so, and I want to say this, if you don't learn to give yourself to Him properly and to us, you, you just will never walk in your destiny. As terrifying as that is, and it might seem self-serving to say it from our side, but I hope you know me well enough know that I'm not a, I'm not a self-serving man in these matters. Um, so in Matthew 12, 16, sorry, Matthew 16, 24 to 26, if you find that for me while I take my jersey off quickly. Matthew 16, 24 to 26, if you hold the bottom, I'll, I'll 
going to splash. Listen, I, yeah, I was in America a few months ago, and I just, the, everything's big in America, including the portions, and I just can't lose. <laughs> Maybe two years ago, I would have just said that, just leave it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm only teasing. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when your wife laughs at you and you take your shirt off, you know there's a problem. Matthew 16. This is it, Jesus teaching us. And again, the principle of dying to live. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. This is a, this is a principle of heaven. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his, his life for my sake will find it. Now, life includes every part of you. Do you know there's a, there's a, a lot of language today about find yourself. Go and, you know, I'm going to go find myself. I want to be true to who I am. Do you know that Jesus taught if you try and be true to who you are, you will actually lose yourself. The principle of heaven says in trying to find yourself, you'll lose yourself. But if you lose yourself for my sake, you'll really find who you are. See, the devil lies to us as a generation and says, you want to find, you need to find yourself, you need to be true to your identity, true to who you are. And Jesus said, if you do that, you'll actually lose everything. You'll, you'll seek for answers in finding yourself, but you'll just hit dead end off the dead end off the dead end. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is dead. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find life. You'll find everything. And so this principle of the kingdom means as you come into the church, it's not just to sit in a pew and listen to preaching. It's not just to you know, enjoy the worship, whatever it is. You actually come to the king and to the kingdom to die. In fact, when you got water baptized, that was supposed to be, if you understood it properly, a symbol of your death. Did you know that? The water is a symbol of the grave. And coming in, you're saying, I no longer live for myself. From this day onwards, I will live for the glory of God. And so many people in the church go through the waters of baptism and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved. But they never really live for the glory of God. God's like an insurance policy that you pay every month in your tithe or whatever it is or your meetings that you go to. But you never really give of yourself. And because you never really give of yourself, you never, ever attain what Christ has got for you. When Jesus bought you, he bought all of you. Every single aspect of you. And he is a jealous God. He's not prepared to share anything in this world with, with you. He wants you. He wants your devotion, your love, the, the reason why you wake up. He wants you to live for His glory, not for your own comfort and convenience. So this is a basic print. Let's go to the next verse. What good will it be a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? So you can gain the world in giving yourself to it, but the, the price of the world will be your soul when that last. And yet if you lose your life, he promises that you will rule and reign with him over nations. The principle of the kingdom. You must die to live. To be a Christian, actually, that's what it means. Christianity isn't, gee, I got really moved in that preach, and I, I responded. I said, come live in my heart, Jesus. That's like the, that's like the baby start of what it is to be a Christian. To be a Christian means I grow in my faith and I realize I am not my own. I was bought at a price. The life I now live, I don't live for me anymore. I live for His glory. And, and I'm not, we're very good at kind of making that sound spiritual. Like we just live kind of like we stop swearing and we think, well, now I'm living for Jesus because I don't swear anymore. No! It literally means that my life is His to do with as He pleases. I'm not my own. I did a teaching a few years ago on to be slaves of God concept that today is like but it's in our Bible but the wonderful thing is he is a good God and a good Father and when we give of ourselves to him like that he blesses us because this is actually to be honest, this is actually a reflection of what he is like, God doesn't ask us to do something that is not 
like himself. It's not like, well, I am absolute Lord Bauer. He could do that, but his nature isn't that. And he showed us his nature in Jesus. Jesus came to the earth and he could have come on a white horse and in a room, everyone bow down, I've arrived. What did he do? He comes and he loses his life and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God's like? I'm gentle, I'm humble. I always put others ahead of myself. I don't live for myself. I live for the Father's glory. Therefore, the Bible says, you know, God, he, he lost his life. He gave his life as a seed. And every single one of us sitting here today that are born again are the fruit of his life. <laughs> and his inheritance. Do you know that some of you will be Richard's inheritance? And the Lord's inheritance. <laughs> because the Lord loves you. If you try and touch his glory, <laughs> you don't go there. But if you live for his glory, he loves to share difference between someone saying, I think I'll take your car, Andrew. I'm like, hang on. Versus actually, do you know what? I love you. And I want to share my car with you. I want to give it. If you try and take it, hang on. Don't touch God's glory. But if you lose yourself for him, he says, I share all things with things that I love. And he gives you his glory. Does that make sense? So losing your life for his sake. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. Could you put that up for me? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15. We read an amazing thing. And it's, it's the Bible saying what I've been saying. And Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Are you a Christian? Well, that tells us that that means you do not live for yourself any longer. You live for Him. <laughs> you live for Him. You know, you're hearing a couple relocating. It's expensive to relocate in terms of people and relationships, let alone. It's expensive. It costs me. My kids have got friends here. I'm comfortable here. I've got a home group here. These are people that, you know, if We've, we've bled with one another. We, we love, this is family, and now I leave that. And it's on me. I'm the one worship leader. You know, maybe in, in this congregation, there's three or four, so I get, I get some breaks to actually just worship him just without any pressure. But there, it's like it's on me. Every week, I'm there early. Sunday mornings, I'm no longer ever sleeping times because I'm up at six preparing. But I don't live for me anymore. I live for him. And the Bible says for every sacrifice that we bring to him, he records in his book. And he rewards. My hope for you and I is that we be a people who live for him. And I mean, even church, here's the question. Did you come this morning to get or to give? <laughs> we didn't come to church and measure it on what I get. What did I get out of that meeting? Or we can come to church going, what did I give to that meeting? How do you give to a meeting? How do you give to the people of God? You love them. How do you love them? You take an interest in them. You serve. You come early. You don't arrive at 10 past 9 so that you can just skip the people because they are it. Yeah? They're it. Do you know we start our meetings purposely five minutes late? We actually start at 9, but we normally get the meeting going at about 5 past. That's not because we slack. That's because we believe in the value of community so highly that we want our people to actually hang out and enjoy one another before we come and enjoy Him. I don't arrive at 5 past 9, well, it's only going to start there. No, you missed the best part. You missed the part of giving. You missed the part of, you know, the Bible says I mentioned earlier, treat older men as fathers, treat younger, older women as mothers, treat younger women as sisters. Here's what it means. There are people coming into this community that don't understand family. Show them what it is. How do you do that? Take an interest in them. How are you? And they come to church and they feel strangely loved. 
I remember years ago, this is so off my notes, but or my thoughts even, but years ago there was a couple that uh, I was part of a church. The church had planted us out in Port Elizabeth. I, I eventually came onto eldership in that church, and they sent me to Cape Town 20, 1999, 20, what, four years ago, 22 years ago. They sent us down. And um, I remember being in that church as one of the young elders. And um, it was probably about 300 people in that congregation, so probably about this size. And one Sunday, I was preaching actually that Sunday. The, the main pastor was away. I was one of the young preachers I was preaching. And there was a couple that arrived for the first time, and they sat about two-thirds of the way back, as often new people do. They're kind of like a little bit. Next week, they came back, and they were sitting in the front row. They were markers. And I was like, wow. And when worship started, they jumped up. They ran to the front with the rest of us. They started lifting their hands, and they were clapping. And we were like, oh, they're obviously Christians. And they were in home group. They came to prayer meetings. I mean, they got to the point where after six months, the elders were starting to say, maybe we should consider these guys as possible future leaders because they come into our conferences, they're devoted, they were doing everything. And then I was preaching again. And I said at the end of the preach, is there anyone here who wants to give your life to Jesus for the first time? And they were in the front row and they lifted their hands. And I was like, I was like, okay, maybe, sometimes, you know, when you, the Lord speaks, you have this deeper commitment. So I thought, well, maybe just the Lord's touched their heart and there's a deeper commitment they're making. So anyway, they came to the front with a few others and you know, prayed the prayer of Lord Jesus coming to my life. And I was like, okay. I went to the markers and said, what was that about? We got saved today. It's like, you've been at this for six months. You haven't missed a meeting. You, you come to prayer meetings. You, you're at everything. You're even serving in the church, making tea and stuff. What do you mean you got saved today? They said, we gave our lives to Jesus today. I'm like, Whoa, we can't even get our Christians to be as devoted to you. What? Why? Why have you been so committed? I don't understand. And they said this. And they both teared up. And they said, Andrew, we've, I mean, they were probably in their 40s. And they said, we've, we, you know, in our 40s, we've never experienced family like we have here. We came for six months because of the love that we felt this way. And then, we found the one from where all the love came from. Six months of devotion just because of how they were loved. May we be that kind of church. But they would see him in us. And how does that happen? As each part of the body does its bit, the body grows and has life. And on the heavens that day when there's rewards, I guarantee it will be people in that community they just loved these folk. Welcomed them into their home, fed them, prayed for them when they were sick. And on the last day, I might have preached, and that was the preach that got them saved. But those were the deeds that got them into the kingdom. Amen? Don't miss what God got you. Don't live for yourself. Give your life. You know, Many of you, you know, I know it's weird today. People often, I keep joking with my daughter, and please, this is my humor, our humor as a family. My daughter is desperate. She's just turned 16 today. She's in worship in Melbourne, Australia, so she's not with us because that's her church. And um, she's 16 today. And I remember often teasing her as she grew up. She started wanting to meet a, like a, a, what was the word? Um, like a famous person. Celebrity. I want to meet a celebrity. I go to America and she's like, did you see any celebrities? Did you see anyone else? I drove past Tom Cruise's house one and got a photo of it and sent it. She's oh, you had Tom Cruise's house. Like, it's just a big deal. And I would keep teasing her and say to her, I'm a celebrity. She's like, no, nah, dad. <laughs> it's just our humor, you know. <laughs> You're not a celebrity. I'm like, no. <laughs> but there was a sense, you know, you are here today partly through others. But actually, you're also here today because 23 years ago, we gave our lives. We've done it before that, but we came here in obedience and started a church called Joshua Generation. And I look at the fruit of that little thing. And I'm a guy that lived in a car. I was a drug addict. I demons inside of me twice. I mean, I was a mess. I was suicidal as a young boy. But I gave myself to him. And I look at what he did. And it's a little bit like, sometimes I look and I'm like, oh my goodness, how did this happen? 
Because deep down inside, I know I'm not a celebrity. I know who I am. And I know the grace of God and the kindness of God. But I also know that as I've done things the way he wanted me to, he's taken this one life and these two lives, a broken, messed up little girl, you know, mom not there, dad not there, you want a dad father, bad father figure, go talk to my wife. We led, it, we led him to the Lord on his deathbed. Terrible dad. God takes a broken and brings him into family. But, and I think of the times that I, I'm a surfer. If your daughter comes home with a surfer, just put her off as much as you can. They're by nature selfish creatures. <laughs> I mean, nowadays surfers are kind of cool. When I was in the 80s, you didn't tell your girlfriend that you surfed because we were all drug addicts. We were like drug addicts and dropouts. Now surfers are still kind of sportsmen, but even then they're selfish sportsmen, you know. And, um, and I remember the temptation of, of um, pursuing the things that I loved. I loved the ocean. I have spent years of my life in it. And in some ways I kind of wanted, I was eighth in the world in my surfing discipline. I thought I could do something with this. And, and there was this caring. And, and again, to do something in sport isn't necessarily wrong. But the priority of your heart is what's important. And I remember realizing I could be trapped. I mean, if it's up to me now, if I backslide, you'll know because I'll buy a yacht. And I'll just go sailing to Indonesia and I'll just find waves that no one else knows about and I'll be happily ever after until Jesus comes. That's what I would do. MC says she won't come with me. She hates yachts. I love the things. But my life is in my own. So I realized when my friends were doing that, and many of them, I looked at them as a young Christian, and saw the destiny and the call of God in their lives. Some of those guys could preach so well. Guys were getting saved to them, and they picked up their life. And then, you know, we justify it in the name of Jesus. They were like, I'm going to go save Jesus in Indonesia. Yeah. The real motivation is selfish, carnal, and you're going to tap Jesus on the end to make it look spiritual. You know what I'm talking about. But actually, if it's not Him, given to Him, you, you're going to lose everything. And I watch destinies and callings get lost. Some of those men today aren't even serving Jesus. They're totally backslidden. And I just stupidly obeyed the Lord. Like, Lord, I'll lay down those things. There's a part of me that wants them. But I've, I've got to die. And so the Lord took this life. And you are my reward to some degree. And you're a small part of it. If you look at the number of people around the world that have grown in their faith, it is a miracle. But it's a miracle of dying to live. It's a miracle of what God does when we give our lives to Him. So, I mean in Matthew 10, 38 and 39, let's look at that one quickly. Matthew 10, 38 and 39. And anyone who does not take his cross, you know what a cross is, eh? You know that you've got a cross to carry. You know, he carried a cross, and you're like, thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And he says, yeah, without my cross, there's no hope for you. But here's the thing. I've got a cross for you, too. I've got a cross, and the cross is a symbol of your own death. <laughs> he says, if you die with me, you'll live with me. But if you don't die with me, you won't be raised with me. And then he says, anyone who doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The free gift of God is a gift. But the Father looks and says, if you will not pick up your own cross, I'm going to pull that back. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're going to lose that, or I'm not going to give it to you properly. You have to, at the end of the day, it's a free gift. You can't earn it. But if you don't receive it properly, it does nothing for you. Next line. Whoever finds his life, they hear it again, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Would you say with me, I, want to, I don't often ask you to say things with me, but just I am not my own. Would you say that with me? I am not my own. I'm not my own. So, 
and there's a lesson here of the seed. Here's the amazing thing about this, and I've got a few more minutes. If you learn God's ways, God asks, he puts a cross in front of you, it's expensive. It's expensive to follow Jesus. But the rewards are literally out of this world. <laughs> and the Lord rewards those who are faithful. He fixes us. He, he puts us together. He, he, he loves us as a father. He brings us and, and seats us with him at a table. He, he shares his glory with us. He, he <laughs> there is a principle, and I actually meant to bring in Ola. I didn't know I was going to preach this. I thought about it, and then I said, no. If I had an apple in front of you, and I cut it in half, you would see inside of it a number of things that are dark brown, and they are called seeds. And normally one apple has got many seeds in it. So you can eat the apple, and then, or you can take the apple, take the seeds, and you can end up with many, many trees that produce many, many apples, that produce many, many, many seeds that can try and save your life. <laughs> you eat up everything. But if you bury it in faith, the Lord multiplies what you put in the ground. And one seed produces trees of many fruit, of many seeds. So, and this is this is a principle that, that's true in, in creation. It's true for everything. It's not just it doesn't just work for me, it works for all of us like this. So if you give yourself, you'll get something. So in Mark 10, verse 29 to 30. Let's put, put that up quickly. Mark 10, 29 to 30. Jesus says some amazing things about this concept of the seeds. Am I making sense to you? Mark 10, 29 to 30. I tell you the truth. In other words, take note. Jesus doesn't lie. Now he's saying, I'm not lying. Okay. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel. Listen to this. That's sacrificing everything. Home. Uh, it's brothers and sisters, mother, father, even children or fields. That's your job. That's your place of sustenance. If you would leave those things for him, he says this, next line. Will fail to receive a hundred times one seed. You get back a hundred times uh, as much in this present age, and that's homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them, persecution. That's just a little freebie he adds on. And in, in this age, and in the age to come. If you will, for his sake, lay those things down, like a seed, one seed, you get back a hundred times back what you're given. You know, we were driving this morning, and again, my daughter's worshipping. She's in Malpo's congregation. That's her every week. And just this morning, we were just talking and, and saying, ah, you know the one thing that is a sacrifice is we don't worship together as a family in the same church. It's every week. Well, MC, if I'm not there and MC's not strong, she'll go there. But, you know, she's there, and we're everywhere. And I would love to be there with her on Sundays. I'd love to, you know, when the Lord's breaking out in a meeting, to be there and experience it with her and come home and share what God's done. I'd love to, this morning she's part of the worship team. She led worship. I wasn't there. I would love to have been there going for it for Jesus and just, wow, Lord, and watching her development and her watching us and experiencing Jesus as a family in the community of faith. But we don't have that because we've left everything to follow him. But the amazing thing is this. My daughter right now is flat out for Jesus. And she's flat out for Jesus for herself. She doesn't need to go, me to go to church. Or MC, she goes to church because that's her community. And, and, I've got hundreds of children. Hundreds of children. All over the world. <laughs> I laid something down. We laid something down. And God has given it back. You know, MC, when she came here tonight, today, if I could, just come stand next to me, babe. I wanna, I'm, I'm a drug addict that lived in a car for two years. She's a broken girl whose father left her as an alcoholic. Yeah, was a broken girl. Mother died in a car accident when she was very young. 
thrown from house to house. And then she adopted an aunt. She felt sorry for it because they were going to put her in a home. Betrayed by every male figure, pretty much, that could fail her favor. We stand in front of you today. Testimony of Jesus. There's really not much about us. I mean, I couldn't even, I was so shy. And I couldn't even speak to people that I didn't know. When I used to go out in my old BC days, I had to be drunk or stoned before I'd have the courage to speak to a girl, let alone anything else. Look at what the Lord has done. Look at what the Lord has done. You're a small part of it. And we know the Lord did it. It wasn't us. But we also know that we were a seed. There wasn't much there. We put the seed faithfully into the ground and said, Lord, we're yours. Our lives are yours. We've received honor that we don't deserve. Glory that's not ours. Because God is good. I wonder how many here haven't got an inheritance. They're buried up. Not coming, not, not bearing fruit. Because you didn't live your life. You didn't pick up a cross. You didn't lay it all down and say, Jesus, I'm yours. How many people didn't come into the kingdom because you didn't die? The Bible says you, before you were born, had a destiny. That through your life, somehow God was going to bring glory to himself. The Bible says that he has a throne, he's seated on it, and he wants to one day have you seated with him in heavenly places. But you need to give your all. You need to make his kingdom life priority. You need to bury yourself in the king and also in the king's house. Bury yourself in your leaders, even if they're frail. And the Lord sees, and the Lord says, the man or woman of my own heart, I want to share my glory with them. I want to bring my glory through them. I want to bring nations. He says this, ask of me, how many of you believe I mean, think of this. Could God bring an entire nation to himself through you? Most people think that. And then God says, ask of me and I will give you nations as your inheritance. You want it to settle for a little career? Seriously? <sighs> Seriously? Now, careers, jobs aren't sin. But when they become what we live for, they are. Children aren't sin. But if they come what we live for, they are. A wife and a husband is not sin. But if they become what we live for, they are. Would you be willing to leave everything for him? Because he's won me. I'm not my own. And so, die to live is what I want to say to you today. What I believe the Lord wants to say to you today. Because if you bury yourself in him, you will not fail to receive. 36 or 100 times of the sun. And I'll finish with this. As a young man, because I, I know there's some people here that know they're called. They know, you know you've got a destiny. That's a very dangerous place to be. But, see, when you don't know your destiny, you just come to serve because that's what Jesus asks you to do. There's no ulterior motive. There's no, I'm going to do this because I really want that. So once you know what we've, what we're going to get. We have a way as human beings of trying to be like God. So we try to work out how it's going to work out. Have you ever done that? I think if I do this, God's going to do that and it's going to work out like that. Have you ever done, ever done that before? But I'll finish with the story. Because some of you here have got callings. But your calling will never come to its fullness unless you bury it and you kill it. Like Abraham killed the promise of God. You're going to have a son and then kill that son. And because he killed that son, he's the father of many nations. Many sons and daughters. In fact, you and I are all sons of Abraham. The Jewish nation and us. Amazing that God would give that kind of honor to a man. Abraham had to take the promise and put a knife in it. Be willing to. If you don't take the promise and be prepared to put a knife in it, you'll try and save the promise. You'll lose the promise. But if you lose the promise for his sake, you'll find the promise. As a young man, I was saved out of drugs and 
I, I literally did have demons come out of me twice. I was just a mess. And the Lord was gracious to me. I thought it was because I was special, but I think it was just because he was very gracious. As you grow up, you realize, oh, okay. <laughs> I was in a meeting once, and the Lord appeared. I saw him. He walked over to me. And I remember falling under the, the just incredibleness of his presence, lying on my back. And with my eyes, I saw Jesus kneel down, touch my chest. I could barely breathe. And say this, Andrew, I've called you to do great things, but there's much I need to do in your life. And I heard great things. I didn't hear much I'm going to do. <laughs> and so, I, 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 used, I was so in love with him. I couldn't believe he called me. I knew where I'd come from. I gave my everything to him. And I was flat out. I was passionate. I was always at the front. Always trying to obey him as best as I could. And then I was coming through within the church group I was in. The Assemblies of God. And they used to call me one of There were two of us. They called us the Young Lions. You're the future of the AOG. And it was kind of like, yeah. I've seen Jesus. Future of the AOG. And then I realized at that time, that part of the the movement wasn't that healthy. And I found a group that were, were more healthy. And I knew the Lord spoke very clearly. We had to leave and join. And, and so I kind of hoped that in joining this new group called New Covenant in those days, that they would recognize all the work and all the calling and everything. And I would just kind of come in in the destiny. I was about to get given a church in the AOG. I mean, it was kind of... So I met with the pastor of this church. And I remember I knew I had to join his church. And so I'm selling myself. I'm hoping he's going to offer me a job because I know I'm called. So I'm sitting with the pastor and I say to him, his name is Tom, I said, Tom, really, really feeling the Lord's leading us to join this church. I mean, great. So now I'm, like, I'm kind of hoping he's going to offer me a job because I'm about to get a job in the AOG leading a church. So I don't mind not leading a church, but I'm, I don't want to go, I mean, I, I didn't finish my law degree, so I don't actually know what I want to do if you don't offer me a job. I have to go waiter or something. It's not really what I want to do. So I remember sitting there and saying, so, and then I've started, like, I've seen Jesus before, and I'm trying to act humble, but I'm like, seen Jesus before, and he called me, and you know, I've preached, and I'd already preached and led many people to Jesus, and I was preaching in the AOG, I'd done Bible school, and I was like, so like, if I join your church, like, what would you offer me? And I was kind of expecting, he was going to go, praise the Lord, you've arrived, we've been praying, and I remember him looking at me and saying this. He said, I don't know you. He said, I don't care if you Pope John Paul. If you join this church, you join like everyone else. You can serve and you can make tea. And if your calling's of God, well then you'll walk in it. It's God's faithful. But if it's not of God, better that you never walk in it. So bury it, kill it. I walked away from that. I suddenly decided I didn't want to join that church anymore. <laughs> and I literally was trying to, not, I wanted to save my life. I wanted to save, I don't want to go, I don't want to, I'm going to get given the church. Now you're just going to make, make tea. Seriously, do you know how long it took me to get to the point that they were going to give me a church to lead? I don't make tea. No one's even, what about the destiny and the calling and, Maybe I'm going <laughs> to... And the Lord just said, trust me. Trust me. Die. And I took the promises of God. And I put a knife in them. And we decided. We know this is what it's got for us. And we killed the promise. And we served. And we served. And we made tea. And they forgot about me. I was forgotten. Every, every time they would get up and say, hey guys, we're feeling these new elders. I said, yes, they finally seen. And then they'd call other people out. And I would think like, Lord, what happened to the calling? What happened to the promise? I led people to the Lord. They were serving overseas, preaching at international conferences. We were making tea. I thought at one point we're never going to walk in what God's got. But I believe, we believe deep down inside that he was faithful. And we just stayed dead. Just kept serving. And I'll never forget one night the Holy Spirit broke out in our home. 
We didn't, I, I never led a home group. They didn't even give me a home group. Try that. Nothing. <laughs> I never led a home group in my life. It was like, just like, you know, we were there for like years. I think it was like four or five years. It's just making tea and putting our chairs and praying and being just faithfully serving and, and, and eventually going, you know what, Jesus? Okay. That's okay. If we just want to serve. And then one night, the Holy Spirit, we had a bunch of friends around and suddenly the Holy Spirit broke out in my home. I don't know what happened. Eventually the elders come to my home because we're getting 30 to 40 people at my home and we're not official leaders in the church. And I wasn't independent. I wasn't, but like God was in my home. God was there. Dion Kim Delport, you're now part of our, you, you, many, they lead our kids' ministry. They were elders in that church. We were just making tea. And they came to our home, and I remember Dion standing. I was a bit nervous, a bit elder in my home now. And I remember the Holy Spirit falling, Dion and Kim just falling under the presence of God and weeping. Went back to the elders and said, God's doing something in this home. And we went on a church honors course. The first time we got there, there were 25 of us. I'm finishing now. Remember, and, and, and they you know, got these apostolic guys going to train us on how to plant churches. And we just come from making tea. And I remember guys getting up, so who are you? And the, I remember one by one they'd get up. I'm John, and this is my wife, Elisma. And we've been in ministry for like 23 years, and we've planted two churches, and we're just really excited. Of, you know, this guy is like, I'm this guy. And, I, and they've got all these pedigrees. And, these, and we were the last guys to get up. And I remember MC and I got up and just said, I'm Andrew. I mean, literally, these guys were like, I'm Andrew, this is MC, and we make tea in church. <laughs> we died. We died. And therefore the Lord gave us back. Like more than a hundred times what we gave up. And I'm so grateful to God that we learned His ways. But you know what? I'm actually, more than me learning His ways, I hope you would learn because for the Father to get the glory that He deserves, you have to follow me to the cross. You have to follow us as we lose our lives. And if you do, He, He, like you raised Jesus, will raise you up in His time. And will give you a seat of honor at His table. And will bring nations to His Son through your life. I want to ask you to die with me. And I know many of you, some of you know you're called, some of you don't know you're called. That's good. You are called. You just settle that. But unless you die, you won't live. So if we die, the resurrection power of Jesus breaks down in us. And then no demon from hell can hold back what God's going to do.